How many of you have sung that hymn before? Anyone? A few of you guys. <laughs> so this, this song was written by uh, the early 20th century, uh, George A. Young. And he was a preacher and a carpenter who spent a lifetime serving in small rural communities. And um, it was really uh, difficult because he was on limited financial support. And um, But through all the difficulties that they faced, they never wavered in their faithfulness. This, this gentleman and his wife never wavered, wavered in their faithfulness, their loyalty to God. And even though they really struggled financially, they were able to uh, purchase a small home. But then uh, on occasion when Mr. Young was traveling for preaching, uh, his house was was burned. And it was people that didn't like his preaching. I don't know if he was a bad preacher, but <laughs> they, they burned they burned his, his house. And uh, I wonder if that's where the verse where he says, some through the fire and some through the flood. So it's sometimes we can be where we're supposed to be. We can be doing what God has asked us to do. We can be faithful in our work for the Lord and our service to the Lord, and then something terrible can happen. Some trial, some tribulation, some suffering. And uh, so the question uh, often that I hear, uh, not only as a preacher, but as a counselor, is, does God care? And that's the title of the message, does God care about our suffering? So we have, are moving from the book of Genesis to, uh, to the book of Exodus. And before we talk about the beginning of Exodus, is, you're gonna, gonna see a very, very difficult time for the children of Israel. I want us to read about how they got to this place of being slaves in Egypt. So if you have a Bible or if you want to look up on the screen, um, uh, I'm gonna, we're going to read Exodus 1, 6 through 14. And just as a reminder, uh, Joseph was in Egypt and his brothers and his father and his brother's families all came to Egypt because of the famine. And, uh, and then look what happens. <clears throat> I'm reading from uh, Exodus 1, verses 6 to 14. Now Joseph and all his brothers and all that generation died. But the Israelites were exceedingly fruitful. They multiplied, multiplied greatly, increased in numbers, and became so numerous that the land was filled with them. Then a new king, to whom Joseph meant nothing, came to power in Egypt. Look, he said to his people, the Israelites have become far too numerous for us. Come, we must deal shrewdly with them or they will become even more numerous. And if war breaks out, we'll join our enemies, fight against us and leave the country. So they put slave masters over them to oppress them with forced labor. And they built Python and Python and Ramesses as store cities for Pharaoh. But the more they were oppressed, the more they multiplied and spread. So the Egyptians came to dread the Israelites and work them ruthlessly. They made their lives bitter with harsh labor in brick and mortar and with all kinds of work in the fields. 
in all their harsh labor, the Egyptians worked them ruthlessly. And the language there is so powerful. And I want to go, I want to go into uh, more detail of what their experience was like. But just to, to kind of comment, this is not what the children of Israel were expecting. Again, they were where God had wanted them to be. They were multiplying as, you know, God told Adam, right? They're fulfilling their call. They're multiplying. They're growing. And, and Abraham's promise of becoming a great nation was taking the place. They were just going along with their lives. And then trouble, terrible, terrible trouble comes along. Uh, and again, at least so far, the children of Israel aren't doing anything wrong. And sometimes, sometimes suffering enters our lives and we're not doing anything wrong. I want us to look now at the main passage, which is, which is Exodus 2, verses 23 through 25. It says, During that long period, the king of Egypt died. The Israelites groaned in their slavery and cried out, and their cry for help because of their slavery went up to God. God heard their groaning, and he remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob. So God looked on the Israelites and he was concerned about them. You know, I wonder what the children of Israel were thinking as they're going through this suffering. Uh, you know, we, we read about they groaned and they, and they cried out, but we don't really know what they were thinking. And I wonder if they were not thinking what we so often think when we're suffering. Why is this happening? Why is God allowing this to happen uh, to us? Have you ever have you ever asked that yourself when you're suffering, or have you ever had a friend or a loved one ask you that when they're talking about their suffering? How do you answer? How do you answer when someone asks why? Why is my loved one? Why is my husband? My wife? My my daughter, my son, my grandson, my granddaughter, why are they suffering? Um, you know, I used to have a certain answer when I was a much younger preacher. <laughs> and I've learned to change my answer. And honestly, I say, honestly, I don't know. I don't know. What does the Bible say? The secret things belong to God. That there are some things in our lives, you know, we say, oh, I can't wait to get to heaven because I'm going to go up to God and say, God, why did you let that happen to me? And uh, I don't know that God is ever going to give us an answer. He didn't give Job an answer, right? Uh, he said, wow, man, you're not a very good counselor. <laughs> you're, not, you're not a very good counselor if that's what you tell people. So when someone says, uh, why am I suffering? I say, I don't know. But that's not all. That's not all I say. One of the things that I say is God is not surprised. God is never surprised by what happens and what takes place in our lives. So point number one, 
God knows about our suffering before it even happens. God knows about our suffering before it even happens. You know, um, God knew that the children of Israel uh, was gonna, were going to suffer. Look at Genesis uh, uh, chapter 15. Pastor Greg mentioned this. I, I believe he read over this verse when he was talking about Abraham. It's Genesis 15 verse 13. Then the Lord said to him, this is many, many, I don't know how many years, but as many years later, um, before actually this happened, it says, then the Lord said to him, know for certain that for 400 years your descendants will be strangers in a country not their own and that they will be enslaved and mistreated there. God told Abraham exactly what was, was going to happen to the children of Israel when they were in Egypt. Boy, I know a lot of us here, we wouldn't mind if God let us know, hey, uh, your car's going to break down next week. You know, uh, somebody's going to get sick. Well, we say, oh, yeah, okay, good. I can make some preparations for that. You know, I, I won't spend so much money so I can pay for my car repair. You know, I know we wish that God would would tell us, um, but he doesn't. But God knows all the circumstances of our lives before they even happen. One of my favorite verses is Psalm 139, verse 6. Your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. You, you, you know, you, you read a book, right? <laughs> and you turn the chapters. You don't have any idea, but the author already knows what's coming in the next chapter and what's coming in the end, the end of the story. But sometimes when we suffer, <laughs> you know, when we suffer, I should say, God never says, oops, oh, I dropped the ball. <laughs> and if you're a parent of a small child and you turn away, and you fall, and they fall down and bump their head. You're like, ah, I wasn't paying attention. God never, never does that. He knows exactly when we're going to fall and bump our heads. Exactly. Um, so you, you know, talking about stories and knowing a story, right? Uh, I don't know if parents, you have a, a, a children, and when they're small, you like to read a book to them. And they pick the book, and you read it, and they want to read it, and you read it over and over again, and you know every single thing. You can almost quote the story without even reading it, right? Because you've read it so many times. You already know what is going to happen in the story. And you get, <laughs> you get to the point, you would be happy, never read that story again, right? Oh, the book got lost. I don't know where it's at. Um... But you know what? I don't think it is that way with God. I think with God, it's more like when you watch a movie you've seen a hundred times and you love that movie. And when you get to the sad parts, you still cry 
And when you get to the happy parts, you still smile. You know the story, but you, you get excited. And I think that, that is what God knew. God knew what was already going to happen. Um, but he still has a reaction. God knows about our suffering before it even happens. Number two, God sometimes allows our suffering to be very great. God sometimes allows our suffering to be very great. I want us just to kind of go through real quickly uh, some verses we read, but I want to highlight. Verse 11 says, So they put slave masters over them to oppress them with forced labor, and they built Python and Ramesses as store cities for Pharaoh. That word oppressed, commentators say it is wrong done by violence. By violence. Um, maybe uh, you've not experienced violence, but maybe you've experienced oppression. And in our country, we can feel oppressed because we're different. Sometimes it's not having to do with our faith. We can be be oppressed by a neighbor. We can be oppressed by an employer. We can be oppressed by another family member. We can be oppressed. The children of Israel were, were oppressed. Verses 13 through 14. The Egyptians worked them ruthlessly. They made their lives bitter with harsh labor in brick and mortar and with all kinds of work in the fields. In all their harsh labor, the Egyptians worked them ruthlessly. That word ruthless, ruthlessly is, is harsh and severe and without mercy. And it said made their lives bitter. They were in anguish and great distress. Has anyone ever made your life bitter? <laughs> Again, a co-worker, a boss, a neighbor, a family member. Bitter. So the children of Israel were experiencing that. Exodus chapter 2, verse 23. During that long period, the king of Egypt died. The Israelites groaned in their slavery and cried out. And their cry for help because of their slavery went up to God. That word groaned. It literally means to utter sounds of despair. Have you ever been in so much pain? You can't even say any words, but you groan. I was reading, there's actually a psychological benefit. It temporarily stops the pain. When we groan, um, but especially they groan because of their oppression and this intense groaning. This the, the language there. It's like if somebody has two broken arms. <laughs> can you can you imagine? I, I was telling Pastor this morning. My brother Frank uh, slipped and fell last night and broke his hip. Sixty-one years old. And he told me the pain was excruciating. They groaned and they cried out. To cry out is to call for help, especially when in distress, to appeal and making physical sounds, uh, public sounds, 
public sounds of physical and or emotional anguish. They're crying out. They weren't under their breath. They were crying out to God. So the children of Israel were suffering. Their suffering was very great. Um, you and I, maybe, maybe we've not ever experienced the kind of suffering that the children of Israel has experienced. Maybe we don't have a boss or employee or family member who's oppressed, who's oppressing us. But you know, we can have other oppressors. Cancer is an oppressor. Chronic pain. Sometimes the pain that we experience is physical and sometimes it's mental. If you have a loved one who's experiencing depression or anxiety, severe depression, anxiety. Um, my mother has uh, schizophrenia and it's heartbreaking sometimes to watch my mom when she's not in her right state of mind. You know, in, in my work of, uh, as a therapist, almost 18 years, I've heard and seen the suffering of countless people, too many to count. I've spent, unlike Paul, I have spent some time in hospitals visiting the sick, and I have literally heard people groan in the hospital, out of pain. And a lot of the people that I've uh, ministered to uh, or counsel, um, they're Christian. And maybe even today, there's some of you in here, you are experiencing this type of suffering. And maybe you're not experiencing this type of suffering, but you have a loved one who's experiencing this kind of suffering. It's brutal. It's devastating to see someone you care about so deeply be wrapped with illness, cancer, or depression and anxiety. It's devastating. So we go back to this question. I think of my mom who served God faithfully. Why is God allowing this mental illness to affect her. I, I remember the words of the apologist C.S. Lewis. Why love if losing hurts so much? And he says, I don't, I have no answers anymore. I don't. I don't know why, but one thing I do know is God knows. God knows. And that knowledge is like, oh yeah, I know about that. No, that knowledge is the same knowledge when you hear a loved one, like my brother, he fell down, he was in severe pain. I know, I know that he's suffering. He not only knows about our suffering, he understands our suffering. You know, the night before uh, Jesus went to the cross. I remember, I've read through the Bible so many times and I've read this chapter, I don't know, five or six, seven years ago. I caught this. 
that Jesus, when he went to the Garden of Gethsemane before the day before he was to be crucified, he took his disciples and he said, let's come pray with me. Took all the disciples and then he took his best friends, Peter, James, and John, and took them aside. And look what he says in Matthew 26, verses 38. My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. No, Jesus was not suicidal. And people tell me that all the time. It's like, Pierre, I just want to lay down and fall asleep and not wake up. But I'm not suicidal. I don't want you calling the doctors on me. I don't want the guys in the white coats to come pick me up. They tell me that. I'm not suicidal. <laughs> Jesus was not suicidal. But it sounds like Jesus didn't want to live anymore. He did not want to experience not just the physical pain on the cross. He did not want to experience the separation, the pain of separation from his father. And speaking of his father, what do you think that was like for the father to see his son crucified on a cross, beaten, nailed to a cross, And you know what that's like if you have a, had a child or a spouse or a parent, again, ravaged by disease. You know what it's like. So God knows about our suffering before it even happens. God sometimes allows our suffering to be great, very great. And finally, God is moved to action. God is moved to action by our suffering. If you look at Exodus 24 through 25, God heard their groaning and he remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob. So God looked on the Israelites and was concerned about them. So first of all, God hears us. God hears us. And Again, that word, commentators say, is not just, okay, I, 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 I'm listening, okay? He just wasn't listening. The word actually includes responding. So I have a question for the ladies if you're married. How do you know that your husband has really heard you? How do you know? What? He responds... And he does what you tell him to do or ask him to do, right? <laughs> That's how you know. Are your kids, how do you know they're, when they do what you tell them to do? Okay. They move. What's that, that, that line from that rush hour movie? Can you hear the words that are coming out of my mouth? You ever said that to your children? <laughs> Let me assure you, God hears the words coming out of your mouth. And Pastor Greg, in the coming weeks, coming next few weeks, is going to preach about how God demonstrated that he heard the Israelites' cries. God hears us, and then God remembers us, and I made a mistake, and so I want you to add this on your outline. God remembers us, 
and his promise, promises. Um, I like what Charles Spurgeon said, God remembered his friend Abraham. And he remembered Isaac and Jacob and he remembered that he promised to bless them. God remembered. I love this quote from uh, Pastor Kevin DeYoung. He says, God's remembering always involves moving toward the object of his, mem- of his memory. For God to remember is to act. You know, when, when someone uh, gives you a birthday present and uh, you aren't even expecting it, what do you say? Thank you for, for remembering me, <laughs> right? God hears us and he remembers us and he remembers what he's promised us. Now, next, God, well, God hears us, he remembers us and he sees us. Uh, the Hebrew word is, is uh, ra'ah, this means to see. But in the Septuagint, which is a Greek translation of the Old Testament, the word, the word used there is picturing God as fixing his gaze. Fixing his gaze. Looking with concern with the suffering he saw. You know, uh, uh, Ray Charles is uh, considered to be the pioneer of soul music in, in America. Uh, I don't know if you, if you know, if you know Ray Charles, he was blind, but he was not born blind. Uh, he, I didn't know this. I thought he got some kind of like a disease or something, but he, he, uh, it was untreated glau- glaucoma and he went blind. Well, his mother, the doctor had told his mother that he was going to go blind. So she started to prepare him for the fact that he was going to be blind. And as in the movie, Ray, she's looking. Well, go ahead. You can show the clip. Did you notice? She watched him. She saw him every step from the moment that he fell down to the time he ended up right in front of her holding the grasshopper. That's what it means when it says God looked on the Israelites, he fixed his gaze. He fixed his gaze on them. He looked on them with concern. So whatever you are going through, whatever suffering or trials that you and I are experiencing, God is looking at us. God sees us. He knows us. He hears us. And then the last is, God acknowledges us. Um, the NIV says God, and I have it on there, and we read the scripture earlier, it said God was concerned about them. This is actually a very, very difficult Hebrew word to interpret. And uh, Pastor Kevin DeYoung, again, I like what he says. He says, he says, the ESV says, and God knew. God knew. You, you know, if, you, if you've ever been on a trip, I have four brothers. <laughs> and you've been on a trip, and your brothers are messing with you. And you're like, Mom, Dad! And they're like, 
Oh, be quiet. They don't know what's going on. They don't believe you. They believe you or not believe you, right? And then your brother does something. He hits you or whatever. He's picking on you. And your dad, you see your dad's eyes <laughs> in the rear view mirror. And what do you, ah, dad knows. Dad knows. God knew. Uh, I like what Charles Spurgeon, this quote is, I, I know them. I know their sorrows. I know their sins. I know their weaknesses. And I will surely deliver them. God knows we're not perfect. God knows we make mistakes. But He knows us. He knows His promises to us. He will deliver us. He will save us. He will help us. I remember the song used to sing uh, in a church I used to go to when I was a yet much younger man. And I think it's called the first song of Isaiah, based on Isaiah 12 too. It says, surely it is God who saves me. I will trust in him and not be afraid. For the Lord is my stronghold and my sure defense. And he will be my savior. So in conclusion, isn't that the favorite word a preacher can say in conclusion? <laughs> you know, I, I know that God has saved me and rescued me more times than I can remember. But I would be lying if I, God, if I said that God always answers our prayers for healing or deliverance. He certainly did not answer Jesus' prayer for the cup to be removed from him. Um, he won't always remove our suffering. But he will never leave us. He will never forsake us. And in, in some cases, uh, as with the Apostle Paul, my grace is sufficient for you. And then ultimately we know that one day we'll be in a place where there is no more cancer, there is no more depression or schizophrenia, there are no more bad people. They will finally be with the Lord. Let's pray. Father, we just thank You, Lord, that You... Lord, you know all about the song that says, uh, Jesus knows all about my sorrow. And Lord, indeed, Father, uh, you know all about our sorrow. Lord, you know about the sorrow that's not even come our way yet, Lord. When it comes, Lord, may we be reminded that you have not abandoned us May we be reminded that you are with us, that you will hear us, that you will remember us, that you will acknowledge us, Father. And if we are going through the suffering now, Lord, bring peace and comfort and assurance to our hearts, Lord, that this suffering is not forever, Lord. And indeed, Lord, we can find your grace in the midst of our suffering, Lord. Lord, we thank you. Thank you, Lord Jesus saying, not my will, but yours be done. 
that we might be saved. Bless us now in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.